welcome back to the Depressed Salesman Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Massey. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us again today. We've got another great episode with Warren Smith of Smith Legal Search, and he's going to give us a lot of great learning in terms of how he's accomplished success in his career and building his business as an entrepreneur. We've gone over a lot of cool stuff with him in the last uh, two episodes. Today is the final talk we're going to have with Warren. And I thought that we would start with, you know, really, in my opinion, what separates uh, those, those of us who achieve excellence from everybody else. And that is the ability to recognize, identify uh, one's unique talents and strengths and pull those outside of ourselves so that uh, we can contribute them to the rest of the world in a positive manner. And uh, I started with Warren today, really diving into that question. You know, what is it about him that's allowed him to build this business, uh, to take it from, you know, a little company in Vancouver and create a national footprint and look into to build bigger over time here. So. I started with my favorite question, which I think really dials into uh, what I'm looking at in terms of finding one's unique genius. So let's uh, catch up with Warren again today. I hope you enjoy. What, what do you think is specifically unique about you, Warren, that brings you success? Good question. I think from the conversations I've had over the years, it is a combination of willing to listen to where, whether it's, you know, clients, just people generally are at. And there's, I think, a, a, I'm just generally curious about where people are at and what they're doing in their life, blended with an unusual, sometimes unjustified level of confidence around where I think people should be making decisions for the betterment of whatever station they happen to be in. Hmm. So it's, it's this, like, there's a fine line in, in the world of you have to be genuine in your interest of people. You have to have a love of people, you know, sort of at the core to be able to ever get into really core deep discussions with anybody you deal with in life. And I think that, that's a deeper philosophical question on the role of faith and how that sort of intersects in my life for sure. But I think that combined with, I have uh, strong opinions on things. And once I get a sense that I've got a clear understanding and there's a lot of active listening in any conversation I have, I'm not afraid to say, I think the thing that you wanna think about is X, or I think the thing that you know really might make a big impact for you at this stage of your life or this stage of your hiring or this stage of your career or whatever the case may be is X. And I don't say it with a view towards you must do this. I say it with a view towards this is what I see as a possible gap that maybe you haven't considered or maybe you want to weigh these things when you're trying to reach your decision. And so that combination has served me exceedingly well in the role that I've had over the years with all the clients I've worked with. And I think that I know that for a number of my clients, because I do ask this question, like, why do they stick with us? What is it about, you know, us that, you know, stands out? The, the feedback I get regularly is there is this willingness to 
make a call, you know, that I'm willing to say, I think that's wrong, or I think that's right, or I think you really should, you know, think about this um, when you're coming up on this decision. I'm prepared to press once I'm confident that I've got a good read on where the person's actually at. And so that has served me very well. In, in every relationship I've had over the years is that I, I don't pull my punches once I feel I've got to read, but I'm very slow to get to that point. I'll ask a lot of questions. I, I'm quite comfortable being very probative. I'm willing to challenge, you know, preconceived notions. I'm willing to get people to think about, you know, sort of what might be a throwaway opinion or something they've not really thought about why they've held that view and, you know, sort of push, pull, you know, poke prod until we get to the core of something. But once we get there, you know, I'm happy to say, maybe you want to think about this. Maybe this is something you want to do. And I think that for me, stylistically, that's been my, you know, sort of MO in sales probably since I was a kid. That's just kind of how I think about things. So for what that's worth, um, that's that's been for me a big part of why I think people have stuck with, you know, me or my brand over the years is that that combination has has served as well. I really appreciate the thoughtfulness of, of your answer. And one thing that I'm consistently noticing in asking that question, but the difficulty in one's ability to answer it, you know, and at, at some level to me, it has something to do with an unwillingness to talk about our greatness. Yeah. You know, we're, we're willing to, uh, to look at and remunerate and discuss flaws and areas of improvement and you know the the uniqueness the 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 individual greatness is a hard subject for so many people to discuss and i don't know that that is why or a big part of why we see so much average in the world as opposed to excellence you know because when when we when we hear the greatest salesperson, artist, uh, actor, whoever it is, whatever discipline it is, they're not that humble, if you will. Like they don't seem, they have humility, but they they also have this innate confidence in themselves that uh, they don't struggle to answer questions like that, I find. And in the same way, you can have the, you know, the next greatest X and we see that person's journey through, through the learning or the schooling or whatever it is. And, and they become a professional at, at whatever discipline, but they fail. That person is, is always viewed as, as cocky, you know, as, as overconfident, as full of themselves. It's such a fine line between the greatest and and the one who doesn't get there, you know. And it's just it's it's so intriguing to me to uh, to see the difficulty in in people's ability to answer that question. Yeah, it's a great question. I'm I'm definitely going to uh, appropriate for my uh, my own conversations with my own team because I think it really gets to the core of like. What makes you unique? Like what what stands you apart from the crowd, right? And to your earlier comment, what are the things that you can, you know, sort of play to your strengths, right? Because um, yeah. it's, you're right, there's a balance in all things and, you know, in this question on, you have to have a baseline skill set, 
at least if we're talking sales. You have to have a baseline of there's certain things you have to have a, you know, and we can talk about, you know, whether a certain quarterback might be lacking or maybe not as good as the median. But like, look, in the grand scheme of things, Tom Brady's still, even in his worst categories, better than 98% of anybody who's ever tried to do that job to begin with, right? So like we're talking about a range of the worst of the best is still better than most of the average. Do you know what I mean? For sure. So I think that when you're talking about greatness, there's a baseline to be in the conversation, right? From that baseline, who becomes the greats versus who become the goods? That's the interesting part. And I, I would agree with you that what makes the greats versus the goods is the greats understand where they really are good, uh, but they can press the advantage to become great. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's yep. that, classically, it's the intersection of things that you are typically innately good at to begin with are easier for you to invest than to become great at. Do you know what I mean? hundred percent. Yeah. And 100%. so, but that, you know, that takes a little bit of luck, takes some good mentoring, takes having the right people in the right place in your life at the right times. And then it takes some amount of discipline, right? Some amount of self-awareness and discipline to be able to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to really press my advantage in this space. And again, to me, it goes back to my pillars of, are you coachable? Are you self-motivated? If those things are present, I feel the sky's the limit. I think there's so many things you can do if you have those two pillars. Um, and if you don't have you know, those, I, I think you're, you're going to have a much harder time in life. I, I think that everybody, like in, in the football quarterback analogy, and the, the 2% versus 98, if the entire world population is part of that same equation, yes. The bigger question, though, is are we not all capable of our own unique greatness? And it's the it's the inability to recognize the one's uniqueness, one's strengths, one's talents, and pull those out of ourselves and contribute them to the rest of the world in whatever way, whatever profession, uh, you know, whatever way we spend the majority of time in our life giving to the world, that that's the failure of most that that has most end up as average, I think, you know? And so the addition of what's unique about you that brings success to, uh, to you in your life, to your coachability and the other questions, I think brings it to another level um, because you're in a position to be able to help those identify and unlock that talent. You know, and th there is an ability for them to use whatever that talent, whatever that uniqueness is to do anything. It, it may not be what brings them greatness to be a recruiter. It depends on the individual, but you could become a much greater recruiter if the focus is through that individual well, uniqueness. Uh, so I think, so again, this is the, there's a great passage in, I want to say it's in Atomic Habits. And, you know, it's this, it's the understanding, like, you have to have some innate skills, some baseline skills to be able to play a particular game, right? And I think that, in, if I remember correctly, he talks about, you know, the the idea that Michael Phelps is Michael Phelps, partly because he had the discipline, the skill, the focus, and the ability to really excel. Um, but it's partly because he has a human build that is just a freak of nature, right? You um, need Michael Phelps to begin with. Yeah, but you, you have not, to have yeah. you have to have the, the baseline of Michael Phelps to 
build make Michael Phelps, right? And and he talks about, and I'll, I'll butcher the name, but there's a Moroccan middle distance runner, and I can't, it's like Garouge or something like that. And so, you know, he talks about, you know, this guy um, who is like one of the greatest all-time middle distance runners, you know, and won all these awards and won like as many similar awards in, in Olympic track and field um, as Phelps did in swimming. But he sure. said, if you were to flip them, he's like, Michael Phelps couldn't win a middle distance race of his life dependent on it because he's built the wrong frame. doesn't matter how much discipline, how much lung capacity. It doesn't matter because he's got huge, like, you know, he's big, he's too tall, you know, he's too muscular and he's too broad, never be able to run. And conversely, the middle distance runner would never be able to win in swimming because too live, too small, too compact and doesn't have the wingspan to do it. Right. And so no amount of discipline will overcome fundament like some some of those like innate gifts right and we're into a deeply philosophical nature versus nurture kind of question so again i look at it and say well there's a baseline i don't know exactly what the baseline is that's a much deeper question and above my pay grade but if we can get to whatever that baseline is and you know my view is is that in sales certainly you know there's quite a wide range of people that can be great salespeople. it's not constrained to those who can be great olympic swimmers right it's a sure. bigger pool of people that can do it sure. um but assuming that you've got that base and you're willing to put that in it's that the separation from will you be a varsity athlete versus will you be an olympic gold medalist to your earlier point it might be a couple of tweaks um yeah. and that ability for you to be self-aware on that that ability for you to sort of work through the challenging first few years and 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 come to terms with some of those very difficult periods at the beginning of the career that might be what separates you know the goods from the greats right um well and i i i would i would challenge that it isn't it doesn't have a lot to do with one's you know perception that, that one's optimism levels uh one's ability to see stress as a challenge instead of an obstacle yeah one the strength of one's social support network yeah you know like they're they're tangible things that have a lot of intangibles in them that are hard to measure but they they are what makes the greatness off of the baseline that most have who come into the profession and, and again, I mean, I feel like those are questions as you know old as the as old as time, right? Like, yeah. why do some people thrive in adversity, and why do some people fail in adversity? I, I mean, they're literally you know reams of paper and books written on the question, trying to understand, you know, who survives tragedy, tragedy, and who fails in tragedy, like who who falls down in tragedy, right? Like, that uh, you know that that's a very clearly above my pay grade kind of question, but I think that you know you've uh, inadvertently or very purposely touched on a lot of what I would call the tenets of stoicism, right? In terms of how much can you internalize things happening to you as an external versus how much are you reacting to those things as being in your control, right? Like what's in your control versus what's not in your control and how comfortable can you get with understanding where that line is and what do you do with them, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that, again, you know, my view on, on life is I think faith is one of the tools that can help you navigate that line. Uh, for some people, it's very effective, and for some people, it's not. But for me, it's been very effective. Um, and and then it's ultimately, you know, getting comfortable with where are you at in life, and you know what's happening to you, and how do you navigate through it, right? So having good support networks definitely help. Um, you know, having having the right people around you that believe in you, that you know, sort of support you, that prompt you, that 
you know, give you that confidence in moments when you don't have it for yourself. Like those are those are all integral parts. And, and I think they probably matter more earlier than later, but it's not to say they still don't matter later as well. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, so. for sure. Um, last question for you. I just find your <clears throat> role as a salesperson, let's call it. I know I know you're so much more than a typical salesperson, Warren, but um, just interesting that you're selling the client, but you're also selling the product or the commodity that the recruit, let's say, like you yeah. have to convince both sides of this sales equation that they should buy you. But just speak to that for, for a minute. Uh, Cause most people don't have that experience in selling. Um, I think that there, 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 that may be, a, it feels like it might be a little bit of a simplification of the, of the process. I, I think that you have to recognize that in, in recruitment, um, you, you, you do have a client at the end of the day. And, and in any search mandate where we are engaged and retained by a company um, or a law firm, ultimately our client is the party that is you know, paying our fees, which is going to be the corporation or the law firm. Um, but I think part of what you're getting at is that ultimately your ability to have an engaged conversation with the market is contingent on, are you viewed as an honest broker? Are you viewed as somebody that is not, you know, sort of in the classic term, sort of the slick salesperson that's just trying to hustle a deal. And I think that really what recruitment brings forward is you really can't shortcut that part of your brand. Right. That whereas you might be able to get a couple of quick hits and some you know, sort of early victories in sales if you hustle people. I think if you look at any long term sales cycle or anybody who's been in an industry and has been a successful salesperson, very similar tenets start to apply that, you know, yes, you might be selling specifically for Caterpillar. You might be selling specifically for Bosch or pick a brand out there. Ultimately, if you're going to be an honest broker and you're going to respect the needs of the people that you work with, so in my case, working with the lawyers that are in the market, my brand, you know, lives and dies by my ability to give honest advice and to be able to say, look, these are the things I think you want to be thinking about. And do I think this is actually a good opportunity for us to meaningfully, you know, sort of explore together. Um, so to me, that part doesn't go away, whether I happen to be retained by one party or whether I'm engaged by both, right? The difference here is, is that, you know, when you work for, you know, Honda, um, they're doing that vetting before they bring you on as their salesperson, right? They're, they're making a decision at the outset to say, well, do I think you can actually carry our brand effectively in the market? But once done, it's not like six months later, I'm then going to go start selling Ford, right? Or six months after that, I'm going to go start selling, you know, uh, Toyota. Agreed. Agreed. Although there is a distinct difference in the Honda model between the the sales chain and the supply chain and yet in in the model of recruitment it it seems that you're you're selling to both of those e external components of the marketplace like the the supply that you need is is the lawyers that you can recruit and move on to the ultimate clients yeah. But you at you at some level have to convince those lawyers that you're the 
you're the guy, your brand, your reputation is. So it's almost to me like you're selling the supply as well as you're selling the the product to the client. It's just, it's just an intriguing um, view of a sales cycle that I'd never really thought about before I decided to talk to you. Um. Yeah, maybe it may be a function. I've lived it for so long. I haven't really thought about it. Um, sort of past that. Um, you know, well, maybe I, it's insignificant. But you know, in the Honda model, Honda's suppliers are desperately trying to be the supplier to Honda. You know what I mean? Like, their Honda's suppliers are selling Honda on their product or service, and then right. Honda is selling the the completed product under the Honda brand to the marketplace, you, you're, uh, what's coming into you as, I mean, I don't want to say a product because they're people, but, uh, you're, you're placing, you're placing people into firms. I, I, I think that, you know, in this analogy, and I'm sure we're going to butcher it as a result. I think that what I think about with, an engagement when we are retained by an organization to hire, pick a role, general counsel, partner, head of practice group, whatever the case may be. There's a lot of discussion that goes into understanding what is that opportunity about? So it's it has probably more of a tenant towards understanding like what is a Ferrari, right? Like what does the Ferrari have to offer? What are the bells and whistles? Why do people wanna you know, come and own this kind of a vehicle, right? And then so, you know, there's a difference between a Ferrari and a Bugatti, you know, and a Lamborghini. And so you have to understand the the firm in my mind is more like the the vehicle through which the person being the, you know, the person that's gonna buy it is gonna come and drive it, right? And so um, I don't think it's so much a case of I am a supplier to, you know, who's going to provide the engine or who's going to provide the parts that go into constructing that vehicle so much as I'm coming in to understand what is the vehicle that you have built. You know, I might have some suggestions to say, look, the best way that we're going to sell this is by making it limited edition or the best way we're gonna sell this is to make it a little bit more fuel economical, or the best way we're gonna sell this is that we're gonna highlight the fact that it's fully bespoke. But ultimately, I'm, I'm not, I don't have enough reach or influence to be able to go to a you know, Fortune 100 company or to a seven sister law firm and say, this is how you must build your firm in order to attract the talent. There's a range that I can sort of tinker with them and say, here's kind of how I think I would wanna present it, or here's the questions the market's going to ask if they're going to think about buying this vehicle, or here's the things that are important that have to be present in order for make this, you know, as attractive to as many people that you want to sell it to as possible. But once that's done, you know, within a bit of a range, I'm basically saying, okay, so that's the vehicle, that's the platform that I'm going to go and, and you know, sort of explore with people who might be in the market to buy a Ferrari, or maybe they were thinking they were going to go out, you know, tomorrow and, and buy a, a Maybach, you know, or maybe they were going to go buy a Bentley. And part of what I'm being brought in is to say, you know, instead of looking at a Bentley, maybe today you should think about a Ferrari might actually be in reach for you, you know, or mm. you were thinking you were going to, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I think yeah, it's a little yeah. bit more in that vein. And, and what's maybe a little bit counterintuitive is, is that because it's not a product, it's not a, like a physical, tangible product, 
yeah. you know, it seems like it has a very different character to it, but ultimately, like a law firm and, and a corporation are still, you know, it's a vehicle that you're stepping into to, you know, build with and do things with. And so in that sense, I think it, it has more traffic. It's probably more similar to uh, selling a real estate, right? It's, it's, got more, it's got more similarities to a living, breathing home, right? As, a, as opposed to, you know, a realtor isn't actually helping to build the house in most instances. They're just trying to understand what are the facets that make this the most desirable house for someone to come and want to live in. And then they've got to go out and find the people who might be actually interested and are like at a stage in their career or their life where they could afford a $1 million, $2 million, $10 million home. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so when you're in, when you're in Toronto and you're going into the office for 20 minutes and you look up and it's 1 a.m. Yeah. Would you describe that as flow? Yes, 100%. Really interesting conversation, Warren Smith. Um, where can where can people find you if you want to do your uh, social media website stuff uh, that people can get in touch with you yeah. at? Uh, easiest place to find me is smithlegalsearch.com. Everything you'll find will be there. Uh, I would not uh, attempt to find me uh, through Warren Smith on Google. You'll probably land at a ski academy, unfortunately. One of my life's goals is to displace that man as the top searched Warren Smith on the planet, but we're not there yet. Uh, he's got a little more reach than I do. But um, yeah, it's, that's probably the easiest. Warren at smithlegalsearch.com is the email if you ever have questions on the legal industry lawyers, recruitment, uh, apparently sales and basketball and baseball uh, stats, you know, where to find me. Totally appreciate you, Warren. Thank you for your time. Uh, really, uh, really cool conversation. A lot of insight. So I appreciate that. And uh, check us out next time on the Depressed Salesman podcast. Thanks so much.